0: You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. Me and Father Brady are doing this homily series during Advent, where we kind of break open the Mass, where we describe the foundations of our worship, where they come from, both in Scripture and tradition. We kind of talked about it as four Sundays in Advent. four four parts of the Mass, and so each Sunday, kind of ripping open that section of the Mass. This is the final part of that homily series. Actually, one of my altar servers this morning, the previous Mass, he said, it's like the season finale, Father. I said, yeah, it's the season finale. Um, And so, all of our homilies are recorded and put on our website, Spotify, Apple Music. So if you've missed one, always welcome to go back and listen to it. This is part four, the concluding rite. The concluding rite is actually very, very short. And so I'll end this homily series uh, with a reflection that I read some years ago on the worship of God. Uh, That reflection changed my life. And it made me think about God before myself. The post, the concluding rite begins with the post-communion prayer. This is whenever the priests and the deacon are sitting down, we stand and we say, let us pray. Uh, this is the final prayer, and it reflects the collect at the beginning of Mass when the priest says, let us pray. Uh, it alludes to the mystery that was just celebrated in the Mass and the Eucharist, that we received in communion. It's called the post-communion prayer because it happens after communion, but also it always makes mention of the communion and the graces that we just received. After the post-communion prayer is the final blessing where the priest blesses everyone. You'll notice that at the beginning of mass, the priest signs himself with everyone else, but at the end, he actually blesses everyone This is because it's symbolic of the sending out of the Holy Spirit, that when Christ rose, he said, Peace be with you. This last blessing is representative of that. Uh, In Latin, the phrase is, Ita misa es. And some of our more uh, experienced parishioners may remember when Mass was all in Latin. And that's actually where the term Mass comes from. That's why we call it the Mass, because it's taken from the very last words of the prayer, Ita Misa, S, -S 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 M-I-S-S-A in Latin. And so that's where we get the term Mass from. And it's actually kind of ironic, if you think about it. It's called the Mass because the liturgy, in which the mystery of salvation is accomplished concludes with the sending out of the faithful with you all so that God's will may be fulfilled in your life every aspect of your life being a Catholic while it does you know require coming to mass you can't uh, put that in a box loving God is way more than the 45 minutes on a Sunday. And think about anything else in your life. Your marriage is way more than that. It affects every aspect of your life. Having kids, loving your kids, affects every aspect of your life. Loving God affects everything. And I think about God before I make big decisions in my daily life. And so Jesus says, as I send you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Ita misa es. After that, the priest and the deacon kiss the altar uh, because the altar represents Christ. At the beginning of the Mass, the priest embraces the altar and kisses it. And before he leaves, he embraces Christ once more. And then the procession out mimics the procession in. The procession in represents Jesus on the way to the cross because the Mass is the sacrifice of Calvary. When you, someone asks you, what is the Mass? The sacrifice of Calvary. Jesus on the cross. In a nutshell, that's what it is. And so while the procession in mimics our Lord's way to the cross, the procession out actually represents Christ ascending into heaven. The sacrifice of the cross has been completed. Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death, the ascension into heaven, and that's it. That's the end of the Mass. I wish to conclude with a reflection by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict XVI, elected in 2005. Uh, He has become known as the greatest liturgical theologian pope to ever live. That's saying something. He's still alive. The greatest liturgical theologian pope we've ever had. He gave this beautiful reflection on the worship of God, starting with the Exodus event. The Exodus event in the Old Testament, we all know that story, how Israel fled from the slavery of Pharaoh in Egypt. This is the greatest event that happened in the Old Testament. In fact, most of the New Testament makes reference to that event. The phenomenon of the Exodus event had two main goals. The first we all know to make it to the promised land, to be free. But Cardinal Ratzinger pointed out a second one on why the first even existed. It goes back to God's original command that he gave to Pharaoh. God said, let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. All of the events that followed the Exodus event, whether it's the splitting of the Red Sea, whether it's all the plagues that happened, the wandering in the desert for 40 years, all of those events happened so that the people of God may worship as God commanded them to do. Now, if you would have asked the people, would you have rather just stay in your home on your recliner and praise God in your heart, because Jesus knows how I feel, I promise you they probably would have said, Yeah. They would have rather have done that than go through those plagues, than wander in the desert. But that's not what God revealed. They didn't change or make up or even primarily set out to do what they wanted to do. They didn't worship God the way that they felt they should worship God. The greatest event in the entire Old Testament happened because God wanted His people to worship Him in a certain way. When we come to Mass, we come to worship God in the way that He revealed it and in the way that He wants us to celebrate it. Worshiping God does not revolve around me. doesn't even revolve around you. Worshiping God revolves around God. People have gotten into the bad habit of explaining away why they don't come to Mass anymore. One of the main excuses given is that I don't get anything out of Mass. I don't feel like I get anything out of my eyes. I praise the Lord you don't think about love in any other way than that. Because uh, if you thought, okay, I love God the way I want to feel or when I feel like it, imagine applying that to your marriage. You'd, your marriage would be sustained for maybe a month. Uh, love is way more than a feeling. And that's a great consolation that... The mass doesn't rely on our feelings, because imagine this: how many parents go through this season in life where they're just focused on the kids in their pew, and they can't even uh, see anything, hear anything. They tell me, Father, I didn't get anything. I didn't hear anything in your homily. I wonder if, if even if it's still worth it. I tell you from this pulpit, it is from this pulpit, I'm telling you, you're doing the will of God because it doesn't rely on how I feel or how you feel. What a great consolation. Or imagine how many people struggle with immense depression and they wonder if they're ever going to do God's will or if they're pleasing to God. I tell you right now, you are. You come to Mass, and, it, and that's a great consolation because it doesn't rely on your own personal feelings. We come to worship God because I owe God my worship. I owe God my love and my worship. People make up. People often make up how they worship God and then say it's all the same. Play that out in your head. People often just make up how they worship God and then say it's all the same. If you play that out in your head, you'll end up in some dark places. Human history is full of that. But also, if you actually believe that, then I'd want to know what in the world was the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament about if it wasn't about the proper and correct worship of God. God reveals how we how he wants to be worshiped and we obey it because we love him. That's why we do it. Because we love God. And love is way more than my own personal feelings or gratifications. Look, Father Brady and myself have dedicated four weeks to explaining the foundations of the Mass because often we hear, uh, I don't understand what's going on. Go back and listen to the homilies. They're like 10, 15 minutes, especially if you couldn't understand it or hear it during the Mass. The Mass is much more than the invention of Today. It's the crown jewel passed down from every generation. The mass is scripture lived out. It is ultimately a mystery, but is something that can be known, never fully exhausted. It is our job to pass down what was handed on and not change it because I've decided to put myself before God in worship. The structure of the Mass was set in stone by the year 155. That is one generation after Jesus. That is literally the disciples of the apostles themselves. They formulated this prayer we call the Mass. You're praying as the very first Christians did. With that in mind, I'll end this homily series with the same quote that I began it with four weeks ago from the Apostle of Common Sense, G.K. Chesterton. Before you tear down a wall, you should first find out why they built it. O come, O come, Emmanuel.